Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in the United States Armed Forces. On this series, jointly presented by Supply Chain Now and Vets to Industry, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and stories from serving. We talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector, and we discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luden here with you on Veteran Voices. Welcome to today's show. Hey, on today's show, we're going to be talking about the journey, transition, and success of a U.S. Army military police veteran turned real estate pro doing big things in the industry. So stay tuned for a great discussion. We're going to have a lot of fun here today. Hey, quick programming note before we get started. This program is part of Supply Chain Now family of programming. We conduct Veteran Voices in conjunction with our friends via partnership over at Vets to Industry. So learn more about this powerful nonprofit that's serving so many folks in across the veteran community at vets the numeral two industry.org okay so let's welcome in our esteemed guests here today i'm telling you you're in for a treat I want to welcome in christina rodriguez aka k rod regional operations manager for the brokerage for virginia and north carolina and wait there's more she also serves as co-manager of the employee resource group for colliers north america diversity equity and inclusion program. K-Rod, how are we doing this afternoon? I'm amazing. We're doing great over here in Virginia. All right. How are you doing, Scott? Doing great. It's been a big week, a big week. Uh, And, you know, we get to uh, finish the week by spiking the football with this time with you here this afternoon. Been looking forward to this. Now you are up in Norfolk, Virginia, right? That's where you are now. That is correct. Yes. Now we're going to talk about your journey in a minute. We're also going to talk about um, your transition, what you did in the military, what you do now, but are you new? You've been promoted a couple months back. Did you move to Norfolk or have you always been there? I did, Scott. So I moved here to Virginia from Dallas, Texas. That's right. That's right. Yes. About uh, six weeks ago. Okay. So we got it. We can't say Dallas without mentioning our mutual friend, uh, right? The one and only Ward Richmond. So Ward's a good dude, huh? He is. He's amazing. He's got a lot of fire in him. That's for sure. Lots of fire. All right. Well, let's dive in with the one and only Christina Rodriguez. I want to start with a a simple question, right? We're going to get into your military service in a minute, but where did you grow up, Christina? Uh, And give give us a few anecdotes about your upbringing. So I grew up in LaPorte, Texas, or I was born in LaPorte, Texas. Okay. Moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana when I was about I don't know, like second grade, third grade. So I was raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana with great food, Cajun food, you name it. Can't find it anywhere else. And so I grew up there and I was a competitive dancer for many years. So I competed in ballet, tap, jazz, lyrical, all that kind of good stuff. And then I went to a um, magnet school when I was in high school. Yeah. And so I was surrounded by a bunch of 4.5 kids. And so what, 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 hold on, hold on a second. did you say 4.5 kids? Yes. What, what we had mean? some, we had some brainiacs. So they took the majority of them took like honors classes, AP classes, college mm. credit classes. I was not that great in school. So 
I decided to sign up for the military my junior year. Okay. So we're, I want to dive into that. Let's back up for a second because much like my middle daughter, perhaps, and I hope I'm not, I'm not uh, letting any cats out of the bag here, but you know, she loves everything, but, but some things that go on at school, right? She loves the dance and she loves the creative side and loves cooking. So, and that, you know, we all have our different passions in life. Uh, I want to back up though. So Baton Rouge, right? Yes. You know, the cool thing about coming across the river in Baton Rouge is you've got that gorgeous steel bridge. It's been there for uh, quite some time. I spent extra time. I went to uh, Austin, Texas for an event probably about a year and a half ago, back when we could, probably closer to two years ago now. And I drove the Supply Chain Now van out and we brought it back. And there was a traffic shutdown right around that bridge. So I probably spent 45 Uh minutes on that span and had plenty of time of analyzing every part of Baton Rouge. But it's such (laughs) a cool, it's such a, a cool city. And to your point, there's so much character and the food you really can't find the really good stuff, the authentic stuff anywhere else in the world. So that had to be a pretty special area and town to grow up in, huh? Yes, it was. It was it's the culture, it's the food, um, the very laid back, friendly casinos. Uh can't forget New Orleans. I'm not gonna lie, during my high school days, I probably visited New Orleans too many times. <laughs> so now when people are like, hey, let's go to New Orleans, I'm like, uh, I've already done that. I'm done. Been there, done, been there, done that. All right. So did that make you growing up in Baton Rouge? Does that make you a, a big LSU fan? So unfortunately, no. Okay. So this is a crazy story about LSU. So when I got out of the military, I started going to LSU, but I wasn't your average college student. So I didn't do the whole tailgating, partying, going out and things like that. Um, now my parents, on the other hand, they are LSU fanatics. So my parents have a farm out in Leesville, Louisiana. And if they don't catch the games on the radio, because there's no cable out there, right. if they don't catch the game on the radio, they will drive home to Baton Rouge to make sure that they catch it on the TV. So Love they are it. huge fans. Love it. Okay. We'll have to connect with your folks and talk football at some point in time. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> one last question before we talk more about you, when you joined the army is so clearly you were, your passion was uh, all types of dancing. It sounds like, and, and the arts, I guess the dancing arts, did you not want to, and I'm not sure what you do beyond high school in, in those times. I know there's plenty of art schools. Did you talk to me about that decision-making? Did you just say, Hey, and you, and maybe you still dance. I don't know. Did you decide to kind of hang that up and, and go into the army or do you still do both? Talk to us about that. So when I was dancing, I started when I was young. So I started when I was maybe six years old and then I got more competitive as it went on. And back when I was younger, they were really big on weight, meeting weight. So everything was good up until probably towards the end of my sophomore, beginning of junior year, when they started really honing down on, you have to be a certain weight to be able to be in the competition group. I was not a big person uh, back then, but based on their standards, I was. So because of the stress, right, and all that kind of stuff, my mom and I made a decision for me to just bow out gracefully. And so my junior year, that's when I stopped dancing. But I say that to say this, a lot of the girls that did dance with me and compete with me. They either own their own studios now. They went on to do 
cheerleading for the Dallas Cowboys or, you know, some kind of dance squad in that way. They wow. progress through their career. Mm -hmm. Well, I hate to hear that. All that kind of nonsense that takes place sometimes that discourages us from chasing what we love to do. Right. So we'll have to circle back on that. But where one adventure comes to an end, another one opens up. And gosh, where you are now, you're you're kicking butt. And I bet you still do a little dancing on the side. It's my hunch. We'll keep that door shut. But let's, <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about what made you join the U.S. Army. So tell us when did that hit your radar, and then ultimately what what made you join? So what made me join was it was kind of twofold. One, um, so I have an older brother who's two and a half years older than me, and he had joined the Marines before during his senior year and graduation. So that was one thing that I saw happen, and I thought it was interesting. And on top of that, my uncle was drafted in the Vietnam War. Wow. And then my great aunt, who's now passed, I think it's been seven years now, she retired as a lieutenant colonel from the Army uh, as a nurse anesthetist. And so we have a really big giving back and really big military uh, family. And so those were some kind of things that besides the grades and competing with 4.0 students, all that combined, I took the ASVAP and they asked me, they said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be in the front lines. I want to be close. I want to do this. And unfortunately, yeah. back then, women were not allowed uh, to fight on the front lines. So the closest that a woman could get was an MP. And so that's why I opted to be a military police officer in the U.S. Army. That is, that's really cool. Now, give us a, a time reference in terms of when that policy, that kind of restrictive policy how long ago? When did you join, I guess? So I joined in 1995. Okay. So it was 1995, 94, 95. So it was my junior year. Yep. I graduated high school in 96. Am I aging myself? No, no. I, I, I'd kind of forgotten <laughs> some of those, some of the, the restrictions, uh, female pilots. There were, there were a variety of restrictions, I think, back then still in place. And now that's not the case, right? I think. That is correct. Um, which is really great. There's been a change in movement where females are, uh, if they meet those standards, uh, that they're able to pursue those careers. And, and that is a huge turn for the military. And I'm so excited for females out there who are joining. Outstanding. So at the time, you got as close as you could to the action, to being right there in the thick of it. And that was uh, the military police role. Let's talk about while you're in. So you joined there in, in the mid nineties or so. And, and I did too, by the way, I joined the air force in the mid nineties. So we're, we're probably both proud Gen Xers maybe. So tell us, tell us about your service from the time you joined, how long were you in? What'd you do? Where'd you go? So a couple of the reasons why I joined was uh, because it was family history. And then I wanted to travel and I wanted to make a difference and make an impact. Don't we all at that age? Right. So I did, basic training in AIT at Fort McClellan, Alabama. So that was pretty intense and pretty crazy uh, back then. I guess I don't have the normal workflow of your average military person. Um, and that's because, so when I joined, of course, I wanted to travel. And did when you? I went through, no. You didn't want to travel. I did. Oh, you did. But I didn't have the opportunity. And this is where time Times are different then than they are now. 
So I joined and I went through AIT basic training. I came down on orders for Germany, which was, I was really stoked about. And then for some reason, something happened with my paperwork and I ended up going to being stationed at Fort Polk, Louisiana. Just not far from home, I guess. Not far from home, two and a half hours. <laughs> so I got a better, I'm not a one-upper, but I got to share. It looks like we got some parallels. I, when I joined the Air Force in summer of 94, uh, I kind of wanted to see the world, but I was real homesick. But I put Shaw Air Force Base, I guess, on my dream sheet, right? Yes. I got stationed there, which was about 90 minutes from home. <laughs> How crazy is that? Joining the military, see the world, not always the case. Okay, nope. so Fort Polk. Louisiana was your first duty station. Is that right? Yes. My first and only. First active. and only. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you didn't travel. Did you ever deploy uh, while active duty? So when I was in active duty, we were in peacetime. So I was fortunate that I didn't get deployed to any war zones. Um, so yeah, so I stayed at Fort Polk. I did travel to Germany to go visit a military friend of mine. So I went Space to a? visit for about 30 days. Yeah. And then fast forward, mm -hmm. I went to South Korea when I did a study abroad program at LSU. Okay. So ultimately you got some of that travel in. I did. That's wonderful. I've never been to South Korea. I bet that was a fat, it was a fascinating trip. How long were you there? I was there for a semester. So about six months. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I know I'm all over the map, Scott. No, 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 no. All this is so all, all <laughs> no, all this makes sense. So Germany, while you're still in. Kind of some R and R. I bet you took Space A. Maybe did you take maybe. Space A or did you go commercial? Probably commercial. Everything's okay. a little hazy. I'm not going to tell you why. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. So you traveled to Germany while you're in, but most of your it was peacetime in the midnight there. So most of your your service time was was there at Fort Polk. But you did after you got out. It sounds like you you uh, were a semester in South Korea, which I bet was just fascinating. So was it all when, when you've been before you went to South Korea and we'll come back to when you exited in a minute, but when you went to South Korea, was it what you had in mind? What were you most surprised with? Cause you were there quite some time to be there a semester. You could really immerse yourself. Yeah, right? It was. So when I first got there, um, I was blown away. I was, my anxiety level was hit really high because you don't, it's kind of like you prepare yourself for going to a new country, but you're really not prepared until you get there. Right. Fortunately, I did a lot of research on the front end, which is really important for anybody who's traveling to understand customs and stuff like that. But I went there and walking off the plane, not being able to read a sign, not being able to understand what anybody's saying. It's it's a culture shock. It's huge. Right. Fortunately, when I finally got to the college, we had um, partners. So the program had partners. So we were partnered with a uh, student Korean who was kind of like our guide. So they would show us around town. They would come down and tell us like what trains not to go on or what subways not to take due to backlash that's, that was happening because of Westerners coming over and things like wow. that. So seeing things from a civilian perspective, aside from a military perspective, was pretty fascinating because there's a lot of stuff that goes on in other countries that we don't hear about here. Mm. So yeah, what a it was wonderful. fascinating. I bet. What a wonderful experience. I bet you got lots of stories. Some you can tell, some you can't tell, but I'm jealous. I, I hope to visit. Uh, I've heard a lot about Seoul and that we yes. hope to maybe do some traveling later. Everything's built up. So everybody's on top of each other. <laughs> well, you know, it's I, crazy. I, it is. I served in Air Force with uh, an Airman Kim uh, from Korea. He, his family 
had since moved to, to the uh, LA area, but okay. he would, he'd share a lot of uh, Korean customs and, and, um, and I always want to make, you know, always made me want to go back. So uh, we'll have to compare notes later. Let's talk about when you exited. So back, back, going back military police in the U S army, when did you get out or no, no, before we talk about that, tell, talk to us about a couple of individuals that you serve with. Uh, and, and I know we never, we never, we need hours and hours for this, but who's a couple of folks that you serve with that really are special to you? So two kind of stand out. So one of them was uh, Sergeant Roseboro. He was an inspiration to other soldiers. He was a um, strong leader. He was knowledgeable. He was the first one that any leadership called to get stuff done. And he could get soldiers to do anything for him because he cared about the soldiers. Mm. So he was really impactful in my life. A second one was uh, Sergeant Hamblin. Now he was, ironically, he was with me during my basic training in AIT. He wasn't my direct drill sergeant, but he was in the company. So he was in another platoon. And um, seeing how he worked with soldiers and stuff like that was really inspiring and motivational. And then when, right when I was getting out at my duty station, he showed up. So the MP station or the MP battalion that was at McClellan moved to Fort Polk. Okay. And so that whole company showed up right when I was leaving. And him and I had a really big heart to heart because he was like, Rodriguez, why are you leaving? What's going on? But we were at the point where I I was on my way. And so there was like nothing we could do to go back. Um, So those are my two. Those are my two big ones. Rose, Rose Bush. Sergeant Roseboro. Rose, Roseboro, sorry. Sergeant Roseboro and Sergeant Hamblin. Hamblin. Right. Well, so it sounds like they both not only were good leaders, but they also were frank with their feedback. Yes. Firm but fair. Firm but fair. Yes. I like that. It's really important. Firm it but is. fair. You know, if absolutely. Not, if folks can't give you honest feedback, you, you're never going to uncover some of the things in your blind spot, right? That is true. That is true. Okay. So when did you exit and separate the army? So I served for three years. There was a couple of reasons why I separated. One of them is I got pregnant. And so when a female gets pregnant, they have an option on exiting or staying in. Hmm. And I just want to say up front, all the single moms out there that are in the military and serving, I respect you and commend you Hmm. because that's some hard stuff, some hard decisions you have to make. Hmm. Um, and one, one of the reasons why I decided to get out was because when you find out that you're pregnant, you go, uh, the military asks you to do a family plan. So they're like, if you get deployed, where do you want your child to go? If something happens to you and you pass away, where does your child go? So it's all these things that you have to think about for the future of your child that the military forces you to bring that forward. Hmm. And I was just not in that place where I was like, I don't want to leave my kid. And so that's one of the reasons why I decided to leave. I had no idea. I had no mm-hmm. idea that, uh, that, that you have options uh, when, when you become pregnant. And I also had no idea that, you, that, I mean, it makes sense now looking back, I can see the military doing it, but this is the first time I've heard of this. Um, really? Yeah. And, and, you know, I want to say I served in the air force with a young lady that got pregnant and, and I guess she stayed in and went through that whole um, 
Family plan. Yeah, family plan. And I want to say now that I'm kind of talking out loud, maybe we did chat about this, but that, of course, that was God, 25 years ago. That that's blows my mind today, K Rod. All right. Well, so with so clearly for your path and your preferences, and I I love the shout out to single mothers because gosh, it is tough. So you you chose to separate from the army, and mm-hmm. so talk to let's talk about your transition. You know, the transition is one of the main things we talk about here at Veteran Voices. We all most of us struggled in our transition. A lot of folks are still struggling in their transition, which which you know, we've got a lot of work to do there, but talk to us about yours. So when you made that decision and you separated from the army, what, what came next and, and how did you determine what came next? So I didn't have a plan when I got out. Um, when I exited, fortunately, I was only two and a half hours away from my hometown. So I was fortunate to be able to go back home and kind of reset and figure stuff out. And I worked odd jobs when I got out because it's, it's, you kind of don't know what to do with your experience and how do you explain your DD-214 to people and all this kind of stuff. So fortunately, because I went back to my hometown, I had family friends. And so I worked odd jobs. Like I was a data entry person. I did janitorial work at night when I was going to college. I did, I worked at a convenience store cleaning gas pumps and stocking shelves. And so taking these odd jobs, just trying to one, go through college and two, figure out what I want to do. Wow. K-Rod, that is, that really illustrates perseverance and just, we're going to get this done and pay the bills along the way that a lot of folks don't have the moxie to do that. So when you think through that transition part of your life where you're doing things, some folks just flat out refuse to do, how proud are you? If it was me, I'm telling that story to my kids, my grandkids, my great grandkids. Whenever they say it's tough, uh, uh-uh. uh. So, so what does that mean to you now? It means hard work and networking goes a long way. Hmm. It really does. Uh, not giving up and being persistent, and you keep moving forward until until you find that space that fits your need and what you're looking for. And maintaining a sense of humility, which I think a yes. lot of folks could benefit by big, taking a big old spoonful of humil- humility right. these days, right? Yes, yes. Let's talk about kind of getting through those those just make it work times, you know, odd jobs as you as you call it, you know, the part-time stuff, a variety of stuff as you're getting through, sounds like as you're getting through college. Mm-hmm. And did you did you finish up college and then get into real estate? How how did that work? So it was while I was in college, I think it was my junior year and I was cleaning gas pumps at the local convenience store and a family friend drove by in her nice little Beamer or Lexus or whatever she was driving. <laughs> and she's like, Christina, what are you doing? And I was like, what are you talking about? What am I doing? I'm working, going to school, you know? And she goes, no, 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 no. She goes, you're more than this. She goes, let me introduce you to somebody. Mm. And so she introduced me to uh, a property manager at a tax credit property. And that's how I got into property management for multifamily and real estate. So that was the beginning of my real estate career. And I started out as a part-time leasing agent. Okay. And that was, that would have been what, late nineties, early two thousands? 2000. Yeah. Okay. 99, 2000. Mm -hmm. So that, that you never know what tiny little random conversation, what it's going to lead to because now you're working with one of the, and we'll touch on what you're doing now, but you're working with one of the biggest names in real estate, doing big things, been promoted, 
your responsibilities are growing, you know, sky's the limit and yes. it all stems back. It's, it's crazy. It sounds like to me, at least it all stems back to kind of a random conversation. And then that connection that your family friend was willing to make for you. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk before we talk about what you're doing now, let's have you give, you know, assume, uh, think of your keynoting to a room full of thousand soldiers, airmen, seamen, you, whatever that are transitioning, right? Just like you mentioned, you said you didn't have a plan. I'm guilty that that was my biggest reason. I probably struggled my transition too. I didn't have a good enough plan. A lot of folks, unfortunately, are in that same boat. So what are, what, what's a couple of pieces of advice you would give folks that are listening that are either in the transition kind of in, in the suck, right. As we all know, or they're getting prepared to transition. So I would recommend three, three major things that I would recommend. One, I would make sure that you find someone who can help you translate your DD-214 into a civilian resume. That's number one, especially if you've done a lot of years, because there are innate skills that soldiers are taught that's not readily taught in the civilian world. And so we have so much more to offer when it comes to leadership, strategic thinking, and things like that that we don't know how to relate that for a civilian population to understand. So that would be my first one. Find yep. someone to help you convert your DD-214 into the civilian resume. That's number one. Number two, I would highly recommend create a LinkedIn page. LinkedIn page is like Facebook for business. Get that going and get that ramped up because that will help with your networking. And it's a really good source to find companies who really help veterans and who really focus on hiring veterans. Yep. Uh, so LinkedIn page. The last is if you find a company and you do that networking and go to those career fairs, find a company that has a very strong, mature employee resource group for veterans. That's extremely, extremely important. And what employee resource groups are is they are programs inside a company that help foster like growth and development and learning and training for veterans. Like they really hone in and focus on that. And so that camaraderie that you feel in the military will translate over to into the other company because that's what the employee resource group does. I love it. And they also focus on engaging those communities and hiring members of those Absolutely. communities. Absolutely. They, have, they do a big thing. They partner with a lot of other organizations to help hire veterans who are exiting. Okay. So those are three wonderful pieces of advice. Uh, going back to the first one, you know, I agree, I agree with you. I think one of the best things I did early, early in my career is invest in a resume writer, right? You know, no one likes to spend, you know, a couple hundred bucks or, or for some of the bigger ones, maybe a, a thousand bucks. I don't know. It's been a while, but having that outside eye that, that is a, that who has a gift for writing and interpreting, that's a great investment in it. Absolutely. It will pay off tenfold. Mm. The other, would you agree with this, Christina, while we're talking resumes, despite what many folks may say that your resume is not a silver bullet, right? You got to be able to network and play the numbers game. You got to be able to interview really well. So you need to be practicing interviewing. Absolutely. Would you agree with those things? Yes. Yes. Interviewing is very important. And the way military people are used to communicating doesn't translate very well when you're talking to someone who's not familiar with our terminology and our lingo and 
acronyms and all that other kind of stuff. So it's right. really important to to get your game face on. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Well, that I love. I love good practical advice. All three of those points, and then your color commentary there was was spot on. Let's talk about what you're doing now. So we mentioned earlier, regional operations manager for brokerage for Virginia, North Carolina, with with uh, Colliers. Which let's start there. What does what does Colliers do? So Colliers is a commercial real estate company, and we provide various services from brokerage service to occupier services to RIMS, which is real estate management services. Hmm. So we provide a whole slew of services for real estate, commercial real estate. And there's a difference between commercial real estate and residential real estate. So I work in the commercial real estate. Okay. So uh, I am not a real estate expert. So don't tell Ward that. Don't tell Ward that. It'll be Uh, our secret. (laughs) It'll be our secret. So when (laughs) when you talk about commercial real estate, you're talking about space for like distribution centers, for uh, businesses, for retail locations, all that. So basically everything but homes, right? And residences, is that right? That is correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So that's, I bet that is just, uh, you know, being the supply chain nerd I am, you know, warehouse and fulfillment center, or even the micro fulfillment center. I bet y'all are really busy. Blowing and going, man. Blowing and Blowing going. Blowing and going. Okay. <laughs> so in your role as regional operations manager for the brokerage for those two states, Give us maybe just a couple of generic, uh, every day may be a little bit different, but what's a couple of core responsibilities you have? So I focus on streamlining the processes for human resources, finance, technology, and information. And so those core operation groups that help make a company run smoothly. So that's what I'm a part of. So it's kind of like, sounds like a little bit to me, like continuous improvement. Absolutely. Yeah. Revamping processes, finding streamlines, workflows, you name it. That's it. So what did, did, is that something that you did in the military? You went to school for? How how did you arrive at being a, you know, continuous improvement guru? Networking. Okay. And growth and development. That's for sure. So in the military, I was a police officer. So that some of the things that I learned, and this is what I was talking about, was really important about translating what you did in the military to civilian. A lot of the stuff that I did in the military translates over to what I currently do. I didn't know that. I didn't know how to communicate that. So it has taken me longer than what it could have to get where I am today. Mm, I love that. Um, And it sounds like you love what you do. I do. I love it. I love people. I love bringing energy. I love being inspiring. Making things Um, better. Absolutely. Making things better and easier and more productive. Yes. Uh, for a company that is blowing and going, as you put it, in an industry, it's the same. All right. Let's talk about this, this employee resource group. You, you've already touched on it a little bit. So I want to dive in a little deeper. Again, this is the ERG for Colliers North America Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Program. You, in particular, you're passionate about the, 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 the veterans component of that. How can, you know, share some of what you're seeing and experiencing. How, how can companies, regardless of size, you know, learn from some of y'all's best practices of obviously finding and hiring and onboarding veterans, but also what is missed, at least from what I've seen, they don't create an environment where veterans can thrive and advance within an organization. Speak to all of that, if you would. So one of the really big things, so our ERG is in the early stages. So we just celebrated our one year in November. We had a huge event. Um, so that was fun. Uh, So for our process going through the Veterans Initiative is 
meeting with other companies who have mature ERGs for veterans and finding out how they created partnerships, what their best practices are, trying not to reinvent the wheel and learning from other people's stumbles or challenges. And we have found other companies extremely receptive in sharing their path, their plan, where they were, what they did to get where they are today. And so, again, it's all about building those relationships and reaching out to other people because what I found in this community is no matter who you work for, if there's a veterans program, they're willing to connect with other companies, with other veterans programs, because we don't care where the veteran works, just as long as we can help them and get them employed and put them in the right position to help them grow and develop. Mm. So. How would you say, in your words, and it's a new program, you celebrated your first year anniversary, and admittedly, I'm not an ERG expert. I, I love the fact that more companies are investing in them uh, across different spectrums and different walks of life, which is, uh, um, I think, a great move, and it helps folks make connections and engage with others and, again, advance and also feel included as part of an organization. How do you how do y'all measure success? So right now we measure success as our, this year we focused on membership and people self-IDing. And the reason why self, as veterans, either veterans or family members of veterans. And even we have people going in and self-IDing as not veteran. And that is to get the statistics of the demographic of our company where we are now. And so our plan is to utilize that information to push policy and procedure within the company to increase the support for veterans that come on to Collier's. And then inevitably, as people come on and it's part of the onboarding process to self-identify, it'll show our metric. So that's the long-term plan. I love it. Okay. Anything, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surprise you with a question, but it's a related question here. Yeah, As you think about other organizations that may be behind the eight ball and, and certainly behind times, more of a laggard when it comes to, you know, wanting to engage the veteran community, whether it's for hiring purposes or, or you name it, you know, there's some companies that do really well at that and they're trailblazers. And as we all know, even though we've made gains, I think in the last couple of decades, there's some companies that's all talk and in little action. If you had to, if you had the, um, the fortune 500 CEOs or C-suite kind of their captive attention, you know, for companies that really want to improve their value prop for veterans joining their workforces or whatever, anything you would suggest to them? I would suggest them to partner with veteran hiring programs that are out there. We have nonprofits out there. I think you and I spoke to it before, Vets to Industry. Like there are programs out there that are already trying to help veterans exit and get them set up to where they need to be. And to just go out there and find those organizations and find those nonprofits and engage in those conversations and and know what is the need and then find the solution for that need. Be the solution for that need. Be the solution. I like that. And you would probably agree with me. We got to do our due diligence and vet the organizations, right? You don't just stop yes. at the first one. No. I don't know about you, uh, K-Rod, but you know, certainly since 9-11, uh, it's, it's on the good side. It's, it's, it's really cool to see corporate America uh, and the nonprofit community kind of reinvent many aspects of it to, to, to help veterans. But the flip side of any of movement, any movement like that, you're going to have the folks that aren't out there to do good. They're there to make money. And mm-hmm. uh, it's really important to, to 
you know, vet and screen and uh, make sure you're, you're working with folks on the up and up, right? Right. So one of the things I would suggest is when you do go in and you find someone who has a, an ERG program or anything like that, or they say that they're really supportive of hiring veterans, find another veteran, ask the hiring manager, ask the talent acquisitions person, hey, do you have a veteran that's currently working for your company that you can connect me with? In my opinion, good companies will have a veteran waiting in the wing as veterans come on to have that conversation with them. Another good thing is to look at the company's core values. Do their core values match your core values? Because that's extremely important. If your innate core values does not coincide with the company's, it's probably not going to be a good fit for you. Mm, Great advice there. All right. Well, we have zipped through this interview. Uh, I want to make sure. (laughs) I want to make sure. It sounds like there's so much that, that you can share, and hopefully we've hit on the main things. Is there anything else before we, we make sure folks know how to connect with you, Christina? Anything else that you don't want to share to, to any of our listeners, uh, whether they're you know, still wearing the uniform or they're about to hang it up, or maybe they're, you know, they've already transitioned and now they're trying to make their way through you know, the private sector and, and, and learning all those things that you and I both learned as, as we've gone through that. Anything that we've left uncovered? I don't think so. I think the main thing is networking, Networking. building those relationships, finding people, um, because that's where we get our knowledge from, other people's experiences, right? Harvey McKay, have you heard this before? Harvey McKay, author, keynote, I'm telling what all the stuff he did. But one of his famous sayings as it relates to networking is you got to dig your well before you're thirsty, right? And when I think of investing in networking, you know, we can't treat it transactionally because then it uh, you, you'll be that person that you and I both know that hit 50 people in a room to gather mm-hmm. cards. It's all about, hey, what can you do for me? That's why no one likes a network. But what right. I'm hearing with you and those savvy folks that know how to do it is investing, putting some skin in the game, going after the long play, right? And, and really trusting the process, right? While you're building your network. Absolutely. And, you know, network is sometimes I feel like it's a dirty word because of the bad connotation it has. So that's why I'm really big on building relationships and connecting with people, finding that thing that brings you together a common ground that helps propel the conversation. Love it. Okay. So how can folks connect with the one and only Christina Rodriguez, a.k.a. K-Rod? So I'm on three different social media platforms. I am on LinkedIn at Christina Rodriguez 01. I am on Instagram at the Christina Rodriguez. And I am on Twitter at KROD0916. And side note, Scott, to let you know where KROD came from, our lovely Ward Richmond that we talked about earlier. So they started calling me KROD at the office. And I let them think that they coined it. Um, but actually, that between K Rod and Hot Rod, Hot these Rod. were names. Yes, these were names that were given to me in the military for all my military buddies. Yes, <laughs> I so wish. I 
I've been living with it for years. <laughs> I really wish you had told me about the hot rod nickname <laughs> long before. I love that one. Um, Only privileged people get to hear that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we're going to make it easy for folks, our listeners, to connect with Hot Rod. Uh, we're going to, all those social links that she just mentioned, they'll be in the show notes of the episode. You're one click away from connecting with Christina. Uh, what a breath of fresh air. Congratulations on all of your success. And uh, I can't wait. We'll have to, to uh, regroup here maybe uh, further in 2022. Hard to believe it. We're already there. And see what else that you have to share. I'm excited, Scott. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. You bet. All right. So we've been chatting with Christina Rodriguez, a.k.a. K-Rod and Hot Rod. New nickname. (laughs) Ward, I can't believe you didn't let me know that one. And we've been been referencing our dear friend Ward Richmond, who also is part of the the Collier's family. Okay. So, folks, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Let's give a big uh, tip of the hat to our dear friends over at Vets2 Industry. You can find them. They're a great nonprofit. They do all the, you know, uh, Hot Rod and I both spoke about the value of vetting uh, resources out there, right? Making sure they do what they say they're going to do and do it the right way. That's a big value that that uh, Vets2 Industry does. So you can learn more at Vets, the numeral two, industry.org. Be sure to find Veteran Voices wherever you get your podcast from. Hey, most importantly, gosh, if Christina doesn't have you ready to run through the walls, I got to challenge you uh, to do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here on Veteran Voices. Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm.